Rick Madison here, Rick and Friends. Thanks for listening. And uh, today I have a, well, I don't know why, but a lot of my buddies that I play hockey with or have played hockey with come on the show. And uh, and this guy's no, no different. He's done pretty well for himself, Chief Operating Officer at PILA. Uh, Jeff Keene, welcome to the Rick and Friends show. Hey, Rick. Nice to be here. So, Jeff, um, just maybe give me a... Let's let's do a little bit of background for people because you've you know your name has come up in in different parts of the community. I'm not talking about Crime Stoppers. I'm just talking about especially in the innovation technology side of things. You uh, you've been part of of that tech side of Kelowna for a long time. But just maybe give listeners a little bit of an idea of of you know when you came to Kelowna and and some of your background career credentials. Sure. Well, we moved uh, to the Okanagan in 2003, which is kind of hard to believe. It's almost 20 years. Um, Yeah, background in the tech industry since the late 80s. So that justifies the gray hair. Uh, Graduated uh, BCIT and uh, got right into the tech industry. And you know, back then, when you were the tech guy at a company, you had to you did everything from like plugging in monitors to setting up networks to changing hard drives to pulling someone's sandwich out of their floppy disk drive i mean you were the computer guy for the company so there was no real specialties back then you really had to learn um all aspects of technology related to you know office business systems which was kind of fun um but it also allowed you to advance in the company relatively quickly um, into more management position. And, um, you know, the good news is that that usually comes with more responsibility. The bad news is you kind of lose your your edge on what's the latest and greatest in tech. So a little bit of a double-edged sword uh, there, but lots of fun and lots of learnings along the way. And uh, yeah, moved to the Okanagan in March of 2003 to join Vadim Software, uh, a long-standing Kelowna tech icon, actually. And worked with uh, the likes of Ragwa Gopal and David Burke and Larry Smith, um, you know some of the early uh, tech leaders in the in the community back then. So that uh, that company, if if I you know memory serves me, which sometimes it doesn't, but it did pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, they um, well, the original founder was Mike Schleppi, uh, longtime Kelowna Okanagan uh, gentleman. Um, Really interesting story how he met Ragwa. I'll let Ragwa tell you that story sometime, but they ended up becoming business partners. And uh, David Burke was at uh, Western Star at the time. And when Western Star sold, um, the ownership group there uh, was looking for new opportunities for David to plug into the tech community here or a business here. And they decided that government government services software was an interesting market. And they acquired Vadim Software uh, probably in 2005 or six, I think. And David came in and um, started to, uh, you know, take over CEO responsibilities back then. And and then you uh, became part of the innovation um, sector, I guess you could say. Was it Accelerate Okanagan? That's where you was that after that, or or am I yeah. missing something there? No, I was. Uh, I worked with Vadim for a few years, and then. Um, did my own thing uh, in a different industry, but uh, took my tech and and management skills to the construction industry actually, and uh, worked with a company there for a few years. But I was wanting to get back into tech, um, but I was kind of uh, wasn't sure I wanted to start a company. Uh, I'd done that, and um, you know the tech industry at that time was pretty early. There wasn't a lot of opportunities. There wasn't that many tech companies uh, in the Okanagan that you could say were any substantial size. Um, But I did want to get back involved and support the tech community growth somehow. So uh, I met uh, Peter Hobrick, who was uh, running Oric at the time uh, down in uh, Penticton, Caledon area, and a gentleman named Mark Payne, who um, was brought in to help Oztech, um, you know, kind of start out its new mandate. And you know that both those in, both those uh, organizations were government funded at the time, um, and both kind of similar mandates promote science and technology in the region, um, and both received some funding on an annual basis. and And the government at the time said, 
we'll continue to fund you guys, but we want you to merge together and form uh, one organization. So um, I worked with Mark and convincing the boards that it was the right thing to do. And um, we started that process in, in 2010. And uh, yeah, January 1st, 2011, uh, Accelerate Okanagan was born out of that merger. So let's talk a bit about the, uh, the Accelerate Okanagan because like I said, you've had that experience of seeing a lot of companies come through that funnel. And, uh, and the mindset was like, how does somebody become part of Accelerate Okanagan? Like where, where do they start from? Do they just need a website or how does that even work? Yeah. Um, well, just to back up a little bit, when, when Accelerate Okanagan was formed uh, in January 2011, you know, a piece of the requirements from the government funding was to deliver programs. So neither of the, neither of the previous organizations uh, delivered formal programs for startup or entrepreneurship or just developing, you know, executive management skills. Um, and so part of our mandate was to create a, a program that ended up becoming the Venture Acceleration Program, uh, which was hands-on mentorship, uh, you know, some structure around, you know, the how to organize your company in the early days, um, you know, how to manage basic cash flow, um, you know, how to tech, how to try to take an idea to, to commercialization. We had a lot of different aspects to it, uh, but the real key to that program uh, was really great mentors. So we did spend a lot of time recruiting people in the community that had experience. Uh, that can work with companies on a, on a hands-on basis, uh, but weren't formally part of that business. And, you know, we had some really early success. I, I still remember a phone call I got one day from a counterpart in Victoria, Dan Gunn, who was running Biotech. And there was the, the BC Tech uh, venture competition down in Vancouver. And he's like, what are you guys doing up there? Your companies are, are performing, you know, really well in this competition. And that conversation led uh, to a conversation with the BC government um, that really liked what we were doing uh, with their funding in terms of creating a program framework and decided that they would kind of become the owner of that structure and distribute it through 14 other regional partners across the province. So what we started here um, at Accelerated Okanagan ended up becoming the uh, core framework for a program that was delivered through 14 other delivery partners and still in still in uh, delivery mode today. Um, I don't know what the stats are. They're pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, hundreds to probably small thousands of companies that have been through um, multi-million dollars have been uh, have been raised, uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs. I, I shouldn't say hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands of jobs have been created through that process. It's pretty impressive. If I, I think that organization has been rebranded now to um, used to be called uh, BCIC. Um, I'll, I'll think of it in a second. It's just slipping my mind. But there's a website you can go and see all the stats. So. That's a little bit of background to the program and how it was created. And really it was, you know, when you said, you know, what did you need to enter the program? Um, it was just the willingness, one, to be coachable. Um, you know, there wasn't any really bad ideas. It was, you know, if you had a tech focus uh, or a, an opportunity that you think you could solve a problem for, then, you know, we wanted to talk to you about that and see what kind of tools we had in our toolkit to to help you get started. So, so sorry, Jeff, what is that? What is that name again? Yeah, so uh, formerly BCIC uh, is now Innovate BC. And ironically, the, the person that hired me back in 2003 at Batam Software, Raghul Gopal, is now the CEO there. So he'll be happy that I remembered that name. And I won't, I won't be expecting a phone call here any minute to, uh, to curse me out. So we'll, we'll get into uh, what you're currently doing. But I still want to dive into, I mean, a lot of that um, success you were you know, down in Vancouver and in Victoria came from building the right structure. And it, and you mm -hmm. touched on a few things, cash flow, um, being coachable, uh, serving the market in some area, but it sounded like you had really good coaches as well. And, and was that mm -hmm. one of the, the mainstays of how the program came to be so successful was you, you really vetted the, the coaches well? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, the success of any type of mentorship program at all is really the quality of the mentors. Um, you know, we, we really put a lot of time and effort into searching the community for people that had kind of been there, done that, and, you know, wanted to give back a little bit, um, uh, particularly in the tech industry. 
um, and, and particularly for people that had contacts uh, outside the Okanagan, because that, that ended up being a really important part of what made the program successful too, is being able to contact, uh, connect people, whether it was with capital or you know, business opportunities or with people um, outside the region at that time uh, was super important. Um, but yeah, we built up a, a pretty good team of mentors. Ragwa uh, was one of those mentors. Uh, Braden Messenger, who you know, uh, started off as one of those mentors as well. Uh, Richard Favreau, uh, Sam Fisher, um, you know, we had some really good people um, as part of our team. And um, as a result of that, we had some companies that had some tremendous success. Um, and one that I will uh, uh, call out, it's a very interesting story. Um, a gentleman named Corey Wagner um, with a company called Banana Tag showed up at Accelerate Okanagan office back in, uh, I'm going to say 20. 12 probably um you know kind of baseball hat turned sideways hoodie on and you know kind of put his uh, laptop on the desk and said what what do you what what are you guys doing what can you do for me and um you know we we started talking to Corey about uh about the software that he had and it was interesting that his, his mom had written some code um for her husband who uh, was a sales guy. And it was very hard to know when emails were going out, um, if they were being opened or if they were being read. And so his mom had written this program to basically track email and find out if someone had opened it, where they were, how long did they read the email and what kind of device were they on and things like that. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, um, he recently got, his company grew locally to uh, uh, over hundred employees and several million dollars in revenue just got acquired last year by staff base out of Germany, um, who's become the Okanagan's first, I guess, uh, unicorn, if you want to call it that, not, not homegrown here, uh, unicorn style, but um, acquired by a company that uh, collaboratively are now, you know, valued at more than a billion dollars. So very interesting story from a single entrepreneur that entered the office in, in uh, 2012 to uh, becoming a very successful tech business. So Banana Tag seems like a home run. Well, it is a home run. Um, in, in your eyes, Jeff, is, is Kelowna becoming, you know, the, the Silicon Valley for Canada? Like I know that's through Metabridge and various other things. We've, mm -hmm. we've certainly wanted that for our region. Is that, is that becoming more of a reality? Like, are we becoming that hotbed for entrepreneurs and innovators? Yeah, you know, I, I still don't think that we celebrate that enough, Rick, to be honest. I mean, you know, we have just become recognized as the fastest growing, um, you know, city in the country, um, Kelowna in general. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize that we're also the fastest growing tech community in the country as well. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I moved here in 2003, I probably couldn't name on one hand, the, the number of tech companies um, in the region. Uh, and I was just talking to Bree Retzlaff yesterday, who's the current CEO at Accelerate Okanagan to kind of get an update on stats um, because we'd done an economic impact study a few years ago and I knew, I knew that it hadn't been updated uh, lately, but the latest stats are pretty impressive. Um, you know, 12,000 people work in the tech community in the Okanagan, there's 900-ish companies and that would be anywhere from a single entrepreneur working out of their home, uh, but consider themselves part of the tech community, uh, up to a Kelowna Flight Craft or um, KF Aerospace, I guess they're called now with, uh, you know, over a thousand employees, I'm sure, but very technically uh, driven company. Um, and, you know, nor north of $2 billion worth of economic impact to the re region. So, you know, what started out as a very kind of nascent community uh, from a, a tech community perspective, you know, a few tech companies, but no real community support around it has really become uh, a leading force uh, in helping start and grow companies, helping attract companies to this region, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, Pila, the company that I'm working for, uh, moved here uh, from Toronto uh, because of the Innovation Center and because of the location to the lake and because the people that founded that company love to go outside and play. And uh, this is the place they wanted to grow Pila. And it started with three people and we're 126 people today. So uh, another great story of, um, you know, the benefit of living here and, and building a tech company. So was there any kind of secret sauce when it comes to how to attract more of these companies? Because obviously for a community, it means so much to, to job creation and clean, mm -hmm. you know, clean businesses and, and all that kind of innovation and, and, you know, it, it feels good to have that hub here in Kelowna. We have a beautiful climate. We have the lake. 
Is there anything else? And, and again, I'm, I'm just electing you to be, uh, hmm. to be mayor, premier of, of this region and, and just talking a bit about, you know, what else can we do to attract these companies? Just in, in your eyes as someone who is, who's running a very successful company, but is there anything else that, that you think would help other companies decide that Kelowna is the place I really want to grow my company? Yeah. Um, you know, we'll maybe get into the innovation center story a little bit later, but, um, you know, as part of that, um, kind of ideation process, we visited a few regions, um, where we felt, and even prior to the innovation center kind of coming to fruition, even just running accelerated Okanagan, I actually flew our team down to Boulder, Colorado, um, because they're kind of renowned as, uh, one of the best startup communities, on the planet, uh, really, um, they've got more entrepreneurial density than you know anywhere else in the U.S. And their their sweet spot is growing companies uh, from zero to fifty million, and um, they just continually do that. And if those companies decide to leave, that's to a bigger center, that's great. But they just keep growing these fifty million dollar companies down there, which is phenomenal. Um, but what we learned from you know that trip is is just a couple of you know basic tenets I guess one is this give first ethos which is just be welcoming and give of your time without expectation of anything in return and you know that's really important when um, you know people are considering maybe you know starting a business here or moving here what kind of community support do they have and you know is it a, a zero sum game or are people really in it for the long run um, right. and. I think that's a really, really important factor and, and something that we tried to um, really grow, grow through AO uh, was that give first attitude and be welcoming. And, you know, we just encourage people to show up. Um, you know, how, we get asked all the time, how do we get involved in the tech community? Well, just show up. There's 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 tons of events, activities. Uh, we do a New Year kickoff party every year in the community, which is fantastic. Um, and so being welcoming and being supportive um, is really important and kind of giving of your time and expertise uh, freely um, is important. Um, and then there's some other things that are probably more practical, like, you know, access to people and access to capital and access to space. And you know, we really focused on creating that here, um, you know, with the Innovation Center project, we started a fund called Atrium Ventures, um, as well as Accelerate Okanagan. So we really focused on how do we help start companies? How do we help house companies? And how do we help fund companies? And, and those are the three things that we set out to accomplish with, with AO and with Atrium Ventures and with the Innovation Center. And the fact that, you know, we're able to do that um, is still uh, I think it's kind of exceeded our wild expect expectations in, in terms of what we hope the outcomes would be uh, from those activities. But it really started to feed on itself. Um, and, you know, having a place that entrepreneurs can go and feel like they're at home and supported and, um, you know, have access to people and have access to programs like AO, have access to students at the university. Those are all real key ingredients uh, to, you know, growing a successful tech community. So the Innovation Center is, has really become that that center of, of being for the tech community, uh, which is what it was supposed to do. And it, it was a lot of heavy lifting, I remember. If, if I remember correctly, it was a lot of partnerships and, and really mm. support from the community to build that um, because it was, you know, we, we wanted to have this, this headquarters, so to speak, for all of these uh, creative geniuses that are coming out with these mm. innovative ideas. So... And, and you were part of all that, Jeff, like the innovation center and you were like kind of on the same path. So you, you're getting to see it, you know, and, and as it continues to build and as I walk through the innovation center, I'm, I'm blown away by some of the companies because they're companies that people recognize. Yeah. Um, it, it was such a, a rewarding project uh, to be a part of, you know, we um, partway through my, tenure with Accelerate Okanagan, we kind of looked, you know, um, for, I'll just back up a little bit. What, you know, one of my objectives with AO is to create a board of, you know, really reputable, successful people that could really help steer um, the direction of the organization from a, what's important to the entrepreneur perspective and what can we do about that. And, you know, partway through, uh, I, I think it was like 2012, early 2013, um, sorry, Prior to that, I convinced Lane Merrifield to join the board from, from Disney, um, previously Club Penguin. They'd just gone through their acquisition and, um, you know, um, having Lane on the board was, was super helpful in attracting other board members as well. And, 
uh, after a couple of years of working together, we kind of went through this process of, you know, what does the community need and, and, and how can we help, you know, accomplish that. And um, this is when we took another trip to Boulder and we, and we went down to Austin, Texas and, and visited their community too. And this theme of entrepreneurial density really started to resonate again uh, with us. And how do we get more entrepreneurs closer together throughout the day? Um, versus, you know, a guy with a startup in, you know, West Kelowna and somebody in Rutland, someone in downtown, the chances of them bumping into each other and sharing, uh, you know, solutions to problems or connections is, is not going to happen. But the closer they are together, um, you know, the higher likelihood of these serendipitous collisions are, are going to take place. So we, we um, put an invite out to 25 community leaders to uh, meet and talk about what the future of the innovation community might look like in the Okanagan. And um, we went through three uh, six-hour strategic planning sessions, which was a huge commitment from everybody. Um, but we had, we had a great outcome. And the three themes that came out of that were people, place, and marketing. Um, so people being, you know, at that time, a large number of graduates were leaving the Okanagan out of Okanagan College and UBCO because of the lack of really great jobs here. Um, place was the concept of, you know, how do we get, um, how do we convene uh, entrepreneurs and get them closer together? Uh, that ent entrepreneurial density theme. And then marketing was, how do we tell the world what's going on here, right? And how do we celebrate that? And so we decided that the Innovation Center was going to be the first thing that that we were going to tackle, which is the, was the biggest challenge, obviously, for lots of reasons, like cash, <laughs> uh, uh, the biggest one. And so we sat down and started to dream a little bit about uh, what that would look like. And could it be we, we go and purchase a building somewhere in town or was there a philanthropic investor that had space that could be utilized by startups? And maybe we could, you know, encourage startups to, you know, find some part of the old industrial part of, you know, the North End there to, to start the businesses and just be closer together. And, you know, the more we kind of got into this, um, the more exciting this concept of an actual building um, became. And... You know, one of the one of the issues with you know building a private building is that you need to make money, um, and you know just for the fact of having a an innovation center in Kelowna at full retail rates still wasn't going to uh, be a win for startups that that can't afford five year leases at at, at commercial rates. So um, we started designing the building um, and looking for government funding at the same time to provide some subsidized space in there. Um, and we worked with all three levels of government, worked with the city of Kelowna and the, and the province and the federal government. And the, I, I can get into the minutiae if you like, but the long story short of that exercise is that we um, had a partnership with the province where they purchased the second floor um, of the innovation center and leased it back to uh, not-for-profit um, that we created along the way. So um, our rent is a dollar a year for 40 years uh, to the province on that space uh, with a 40 year renewal. So it's uh, a fantastic um, uh, space in the Innovation Center. Um, and then we talked to the, and we talked to the city and um, the city purchased the theater um, on the main floor uh, of the Innovation Center for the same deal. They followed the province's footsteps and um, we were able to carve out the same deal with the, with the city. And then the federal government came in and said, hey, you've got the province and the city uh, on board here. We'll give you funding to tenant improve both those spaces. So we ended up, um, you know, uh, contributions of $10 million in total to um, create space in the innovation center that was highly subsidized and accessible um, by uh, startups and early stage companies and entrepreneurs and Okanagan College ended up taking space in there. The university ended up taking space in there. Accelerate Okanagan ended up taking space in there and just became a massive, uh, massive win for the community. And, you know, some of the great news stories that have uh, come out of that um, project are, are so exciting. Um, I just talked to the federal government the other day because they look at the Innovation Center project as one of the most successful projects they've ever funded um, through their WD program. Um, we've we've uh, helped companies just on the second floor um, of that subsidized space. So the companies that have been through that space have raised over $22 million worth of uh, venture capital. Um, they've created over 450 jobs. Um, we've helped over 3,500 small and medium-sized enterprises with events and activities and uh, networking opportunities and connections inside and outside the Valley. So um, when, you know, when we got to the uh, stage of reporting our metrics back 
uh, to the province and the city and the federal government. They're, you know, just blown away by, first of all, no one believed we could do it. It's like, are you guys crazy? You're going to build a building and you're going to sell part of it to the government. Then you're going to get some funding to create subsidized space. Isn't that really complicated? Well, it was, it was an absolute gong show to, to uh, get it in place, but the benefit and the rewards have been just incredible. You said two words that I, I found interesting in regards to the Innovation Center, uh, serendipitous collision. Mm. Uh, just kind of explain what, what that, why that's so important for that kind of center to have. Yeah, and um, you know, in uh, and Lane is such a uh, you know a brilliant um, you know dreamer when it when it comes to this kind of stuff. So uh, you know he. Worked with, working with the architect, we um, uh, intentionally created spaces where people would bump into each other um, every day. So, and we kind of, you know, he, he's got this inspiration from the Apple campus where Steve Jobs put all the washrooms on one floor so that people would physically have to get through the building to the bathroom and the chances of an engineer working on a project and a project manager working on another project and a graphic designer working on, they would actually have to physically see each other throughout the day, uh, you know, forcefully. And we kind of took that concept by uh, creating some spaces in the innovation center where people would just naturally run into each other like the atrium space. So we gave up a lot of, um, you know, leasable property in the building to create a, uh, a, a an atrium space in the middle that is open from floor to ceiling. I think there's probably, you know, 60,000 square feet of space that, uh, you know, we turned into open space. Um, and all the offices have, uh, doors that look into that space so you can see and feel the energy in the building you're not kind of locked away in a in a corner somewhere and then we created the rooftop park which is an opportunity for people that uh, work in the building to go up and have lunch and, and meet people and hang out uh, with people and then the theater of course for events and activities so um, again it's, it's just from some of the lessons that we learned along the way um, the opportunities for people just to have a you know, non-planned out meeting in a building and just talk about whatever they're happen to be working on. Um, it, it's just, it, it's incredible uh, value uh, to both, both, both people or who, whoever happens to be participating in that conversation. You know, I really do want to talk about your company as well, Jeff, but I want to talk a bit about uh, Lane Merrifield, whose, whose name is, you know, obviously well known. Um, and you, you two have, have worked together. I mean, uh, you were part of, uh, when he was on the Dragons, you were kind of the, the, the vetter guy, I guess, the guy that got the deals done uh, for whatever deals he created on television. You were the guy that sessed out and did your due diligence and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just kind of take us through that, that uh, a part of things and just, you know, how it came into being? Sure. Well, um, yeah, Lane and I uh, had the opportunity to work together uh, in a couple of different ways. Um, one was obviously, you know, working together uh, at Accelerate Okanagan. Um, and then two, you know, working together with the community. And, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, he was the private money um, that wanted to see this innovation center built. Uh, so in combination with the, you know, the government money ended up being a, a, a great win. Um, and then we, you know, we started talking about Atrium Ventures and, you know, kind of the last piece of the puzzle um, to what would be needed in the community uh, to help fund companies. And uh, I think a, a couple of years prior, it's a bit of a funny story, um, he, got, he got approached by um, CBC to be on Dragon's Den, uh, but he was still in the throes of, you know, um, being the youngest kind of executive at Disney, just being acquired, flying all over the world and, you know, running multiple um, uh, platforms for Disney and just not the time. And so, you know, partway through our, our working relationship, he, he got a call uh, again and he, he thought it was like somebody was just pranking him. He's probably, he's probably told that story before, but uh, they called him back and uh, encouraged him to, um, you know, go to an audition in Vancouver. Um, uh, and he, they were looking for somebody that um, I guess his profile was great for and his personality and background and successfully uh, got on the show. And um, it just became kind of a natural extension of, of what we were doing at the time for me to help him out um, on the back end of, of, you know, doing the vetting of the deals. And, 
Um, I can't get into all the details, obviously, um, because a lot of that is confidential. But um, I, it was a, it was a really fun experience, um, just hanging out at the CBC Studios backstage and uh, meeting all the other dragons and uh, meeting all the companies. It's, I don't think people can really appreciate the amount of work um, that the dragons go through. I mean, the companies, yes, but you know, it's a, it's a seven to seven day uh, for the dragons and. Um, there's their hour long pitches. It doesn't seem like that on TV, but, um, you know, you're, you've got about 11 to 12 pitches a day back to back with a small break in the middle. And, um, you gotta look fresh and, and, uh, interested <laughs> no matter yeah. if you're the, the first or last pitch of the day or the first day or the 12th day. Uh, I think the first day I was there, we were, we were, uh, 12 days back to back, uh, shooting, um, fascinating, uh, you know, I think one of the most rewarding things is just meeting the different people and the different backgrounds and what brought them there and what's encouraging them to start their businesses. It was just fascinating and real privilege to have a kind of a peek on the inside uh, of that. And so, yeah, we did that for three years and um, had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it's a great memory for sure. So when when these deals got struck, and again, you can't share a lot of details, but uh, what are some of the because there's there's people listening to the show that are going well I have a company and and I wonder if I would be good for you know either the innovation center accelerator mm -hmm. well the innovation and they, they they have this idea can you give them any kind of mentoring advice for some things that um, they should be looking for as far as uh, something to bring to market because something you said which was you know, don't always start a company just to look for the exit. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of the things. But is yeah. there any other tips and, and strategies that you can uh, share with us? Well, I think, um, you know, don't be in it for the money. If, if you know, if financial success, I mean, it's always a factor, uh, but it can't be the factor in, in why you want to start a business. Um, it should be the problem that you're solving should be big. Um, you know, potentially, um, and the market that you're addressing should be big too. Um, uh, those are two, you know, kind of key factors and just authenticity, um, in, in yourself and self-awareness, um, of what might be, um, I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, you know, the best entrepreneurs surround themselves with better people, um, because they realize where the weaknesses are and, um, people that don't realize that have a very hard time. Uh, moving at the pace that you need to move to build a successful company. Um, so one of the things that we look for is um, what kind of problem are, are these people solving? What do they know about this industry or this problem? What do we know about it? And can we be helpful, right? Another really key factor. Um, are they realistic uh, with their valuations? Um, and are, are they realistic with what our expectations are how much we're actually able to help them, right? Because that's another thing. A lot of people, you know, um, go to pitch events or, you know, similar Dragon's Den or whatever. Um, and they think that a successful pitch means that all of a sudden they're going to be surrounded by all these amazing people that are going to help them grow their company. And that's just not the case. Um, it's up to you, right? Um, you're going to get some support, um, obviously mostly financial at the beginning and maybe a little bit of network and connections, but but the execution is all up to the entrepreneur. Um, so uh, I think those are the key things, uh, probably, Rick, um, you know, being real about um, your where your magic is and what you bring to the table and, and where some of your weak spots are and, and um, finding other people that you surround yourself with to help you move, move quick. Um, yeah, I think those are probably, probably the key things. And it sounds like not to be... Uh too delusional i'm i'm glad that uh well for me myself personally i have some great people that i can vet ideas with and they they don't uh, pull any punches and they say exactly what they're thinking and and it's a great sounding board and i think a lot of people that uh i i've met a few entrepreneurs that that had an idea and and somebody didn't catch them quick enough before they sent mm. a lot of money in a lot of resources they quit their jobs and and unfortunately, mm -hmm. they're they're just in a in a, a poorer future because they they had a shred of an idea, but nobody really helped them shape it in in order to yeah. serve the market. So I, I'm sure you've probably seen the fails as well as the successes. But and it and yeah. it seems like a 
the unicorn syndrome. Like there's there's not many that hit that that zenith of you know <laughs> club penguin status or you know those yeah. those kind of levels. And I think people do think, oh, this is the next one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think one thing people need to understand is that the majority of the startups still fail. Um, you know, uh, it's very rare that you you'll grow to a a going concern and it's even more rare that you'll end up being a banana tag or a club penguin or any those type of companies it's just not uh you know it's not that common um you know in in just chatting this through with you i i think the other thing that you know people uh, i would encourage people to do is just know the numbers um not only about their business in terms of dollars and cents but market um market size and market access and you know some people have great ideas but there's there's just you know, is it a is it a lifestyle business? Is it you know something that you could do off the side of your desk, or is, is this really something that can grow into something substantial, right? And um, knowing how big the market is, and uh, what the opportunity is, and what the problem you're trying to solve in that market, and how you're going to get there, and then surround yourself with the people to execute on that, I, it it all kind of feeds on itself. Um, but understanding those basics is is super important. So you're chief operating officer at Pila. Um, you and, and, and let's bring in, uh, Elaine Merrifield or some of the other entrepreneurs that have, that run companies. Um, what, what traits do you think are necessary to, to help grow a company, to help scale a company? Because, you know, to, to lead, to start with an idea and then actually take it to the next level, it's almost two separate people. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, you've done a great job at, uh, at your company of just, growing it and helping it be successful but is there any kind of traits that that you think are are a pattern that exists with successful companies for their leaders yeah uh, it's such an interesting point um i I think it's part of that self-awareness um you know exercise i mentioned before and i'll give you a good example is the original founder of pila uh is jeremy lang um gentleman lives in saskatoon and he was making the very make a very long story short, digging in the sand in Hawaii with his son, digging up pieces of plastic, thought there should be a better way to deal with plastic and waste. And why does, why did they have to sit in the beach and, you know, dig up someone else's garbage. And that kind of uh, translated into making compostable phone cases, phone cases that would break down into soil when in a, in a, you know, backyard composting environment or the landfill. And uh, he was an environmental uh, consultant at the time. Um, and doing this case business out of his basement um, until he, you know, he's, I've got pictures of him and his wife and his kids putting phone cases with personalized thank you notes and envelopes until they just couldn't manage, you know, that kind of volume anymore. And he kind of got this crossroads of what am I going to do? Am I going to, you know, go to stick to my job and give up this part-time thing? Or am I going to go all in on this opportunity? A uh, real turning point for him, um, he went to a Mastermind Talks event in California, MMT, they're called, and he ended up meeting um, who are now our, found, our co-founders, um, Matt Bertulli and, and Brad Peterson. Um, and Matt is now our CEO, and Brad is now our chairman and co-founder, and Jeremy is our VP of sustainability, but he's also a founder. But he just realized that, you know, he wasn't in a position to take this company on his own where he needed to go, where it needed to go to be successful. He surrounded himself with two of the best people I've ever met in business and in personal life. They're just amazing humans and amazing at business. Um, And because of that kind of self-awareness and, you know, kind of swallow your pride and your ego and bring someone else in to take over for you has made all the difference in the world. Um, It's a company that started with basically the three of them and has, has grown, as I mentioned before, to, you know, 126 people. And in terms of, you know, that kind of leadership, specifically to your question about, you know, leadership qualities and what it takes to drive a company, um, you know, I, a couple of things. Um, it's going to be a bumpy road, guaranteed. There's going to be lots of ups and downs. So resilience is a key trait uh, for entrepreneurs. If, if, you know, if you can ride the wave uh, or the roller coaster, so to speak, up and down and, you know, pick yourself up when, when things are shitty and, you know, um, you know, celebrate a little bit with your team when things are good and, you know, everything in between that that's a really good trait. Um, and also just, you know, a big vision and a driver, um, you know, the CEO has to, has to um, uh, drive the business forward. 
um, with their vision. Um, it's up to people like me to, to try to operationalize that. Um, and that's a big challenge, but also, you know, a lot of fun at the same time. Uh, but the most successful companies that I've seen are uh, big dreamers, big vision people, big goals, um, and lots of drive. Um, but they're also lots of fun. Um, and they can laugh at themselves too. Um, but those things, I, I think those things are really important. Along with that ability to say, you know what, I'm not good at this. I need to bring somebody else in to help me get there. So we didn't really get into um, what Pila does. Uh, I mean, we talked about some of the, the phone cases, but but mm-hmm. why, what is the secret sauce of, of Pila? Yeah, so I think, you know, at its core, um, you know, Matt and Brad and uh, our CMO, Gareth and, and Jeremy and uh, actually our whole executive team, Jason, uh, Gareth and Connor, you know, we all talk about, um, you know, marketing, right? We're, we're really at our core, we're a marketing company. I think most companies are, you look at Apple, they're a marketing company, look at Tesla, they're a marketing company. Tesla actually makes more money off selling carbon credits than they do off selling cars. People probably don't know that, but um, very... <laughs> <laughs> They're not really a car company, although they make beautiful cars. And, uh, I, I love mine. Um, <laughs> they got me. Uh, Apple Apple got me too. But um, yeah, marketing is such a huge component. Um, sales and marketing, obviously, this, to the success of every business. You know, I remember the funny little side note, talking to a few companies early on at Accelerate Okanagan and their struggles with sales. And they, you know, they just couldn't seem to grow. And I'm like, well, how many hours a day or, you know, who owns sales? Well, that's me. You know, I own sales. And like, how many hours a week are you working on sales? Like, how many, how many hours a week are you talking to customers? Well, at least an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it, that company's ended up being uh, pretty successful too, ironically. Um, but so, yeah, so marketing uh, is a big uh, is a big part of what we do. Um you know, we, we started with phone cases and mobile accessories that are, are compostable. Um, one of the lessons we learned along the way was that a lot of landfills and uh, composting, um, you know, facilities still don't like compostable products in them because um, if they're not food or, you know, nature products, then um, they don't break down as fast and it slows down their ability to turn stuff over and make money, right? So um, they'd rather, and they can't tell the difference between a plastic phone case or a compostable phone case showing up there. They don't know what to do. So, um, you know, we're making this great product that, you know, kind of breaks down in people's backyards, but if it ends up in the garbage, then it, it kind of ends up with everything else and, and and not a happy place. So we started to kind of set out solving our own problem, which was uh, creating this home-based um, unit called Lomi that would break down uh, our phone cases and turn them into dirt overnight. And that was the, that was the big goal. Um, and along the way, uh, again, I guess the ability to kind of change directions and pivot and capitalize on opportunities that present themselves is another good trait, uh, you know, for entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, but we we just kind of you know red hand, we we were focused on plastic waste, right? Our BHAG, we're gonna we're gonna eliminate a billion pounds of plastic from ever entering the waste stream. We're gonna do this by building mobile accessory products that compost at the end of their life, right? Um, and so we're on this theme of waste and we start to, you know, start to engineer Lomi and we realize that food waste is like a massive problem in terms of climate change, right? Like it goes to the landfill, it creates methane, methane's 80 times worse than CO2 and it's just a bad thing. You, you don't want food waste to go to the landfill. So when we were building Lomi for our phone cases, we kind of engineered it to do both. So you, you can put your phone case and your food waste in your Lomi and it will turn into dirt overnight. Um, it seemed crazy at the time um, that, but we were able to do it. And uh, we, we wanted to kind of test the market, um, you know, as good marketers, you know, let's just see how big the market is out there. What's the least amount of effort we can put into this exercise to find out how big this opportunity is. Right. And that's the other good lesson for people is don't like, what's the least amount of money you can spend to see if this is real. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, we got on on uh, decided we're going to do a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo um, in uh, April of 2021. Uh, We had a pretty, you know, modest expectation of how much money uh, we thought we were going to raise through this campaign. And the whole idea of raising money through the campaign was to pay for production uh, of these Lomis, uh, manufacturing production. And but we, we actually eclipsed our goal three minutes into the campaign. Um, 
and we ended up at a raising ten million dollars, um, which ended up—it's—it's <laughs> it's crazy, right? It—it it, it was the lar- it was the most successful crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo of 2021, um, and the largest by far of any kind of green tech uh, crowdfunding campaign. So we kind of caught lightning in a bottle a little bit um, in terms of wow, this mark uh, this market opportunity. We sold 20,000 in a matter of a couple of days. Um, so it really uh, impressed upon us uh, how big a market opportunity this was. So we kind of doubled down um, and, you know, shifted our focus to the biggest biggest growth lever um, that we could see, which was Lomi. Um, yeah, we've, we've sold uh, almost 100,000, um, you know, in wow. less than a year um, and still growing. Um, we're... We, and because our team is so focused on, you know, always looking, um, you know, into the future, we're, you know, already our second version of Lomi will be brought to market uh, by the end of this year. And our third version of Lomi is already in R&D. Um, uh, so, yeah, lots of lots of great um, experiences and opportunities and learnings along the way. But it's just super exciting to be a part of a company that's, you know, started with three people selling phone cases, is 100, you know, over 120 people. Um, mostly based in Kelowna. We have manufacturing here in Kelowna. We have distribution here in Kelowna. We have our headquarters here in Kelowna. So it's a very exciting Kelowna story and Canadian story, really. So where does the name Lomi come from? Like, it sounds like it's 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 a derivative, or what is that? <laughs> what is a Lomi? Uh, you see people say, where did Pila come from? What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> um, so quickly, Pila is, I, I think it's like... Uh, it means like the skin, like protective skin in an apple or something. And um, in, uh, I can't remember what language it is. Uh, anyways, uh, Lomi was just the creation of our marketing team. Uh, we looked at what what could we call it? We wanted to personalize it, right? Yeah. So it wasn't just like an appliance, you know, like a dishwasher. We wanted to give it a name to personalize it for to build a little bit of a, um, you know, relationship with our consumers and tell be able to tell stories about Lomi and how Lomi improves your world and how Lomi improves the the uh, environment and what you can do with Lomi dirt and we actually created this little animated Lomi that runs around and um, puts puts food in the. In the well, well, how do you spell Lomi? L O M I. Okay, okay. Because in my head it was L O M M E. Okay, so Lomi. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were kind of play, like this play on um, dirt or soil or compost or loam, I think was kind of how we got down that path. And um, Lomi just kind of was a, a cuter, more personalized uh, name for for it. Yeah. I just am blown away by the Indiegogo story of of hitting 10 million within three minutes Uh because it, it clearly resonated with a with a base. It, it, it you know people said yeah I, I definitely want this product in my home. And what does mm-hmm. what does a Lomi go for? Like how much is that? Well, just to clarify, we hit our modest. I think we set a hundred thousand dollar target to raise oh, in I this see. campaign, and we we exceeded that in three minutes. But we did end up raising ten million over the period of two weeks. So still, I don't want to I don't want to try to minimize <laughs> the success of that campaign because it was it. We thought if we could get two million, oh my god, or five million, oh, it would just be. Uh, anyway, it just kept growing, and um, uh, yeah, very exciting part. Very exciting to be in the office uh, for those two weeks. Um, yeah, they go for four ninety nine uh, US. Okay, and, and where do like people listening? Where where do they get where do they get a Lomi from? Like, what is it through you Pila? Can, yeah, you can buy them on our website at Pila Earth. Um, that's where you can find them. We uh, also have a few um, exciting announcements coming up soon with some pretty uh, pretty high profile retail partners in the U.S. But we're currently in the MoMA stores, which is uh, the Museum of Modern Art, Museum of Modern Art stores, um, in the U.S. right now. Um, uh, we have a couple other, yeah, a couple other big brands that we're we're partnering with that you'll be able to uh, walk into stores soon and, and pick up a Lomi. So we're talking to Jeff and and gleaning all this info off of him. But uh, do you have plans for the summer? Or are you just going to work all the time, Jeff? Like what what is uh, what is Jeff Keen going to do during the summertime? Is do you actually take time off, or what what happens? Yeah, um, nothing major planned. But um, you know, we have 
uh, just to give you a little bit of insight to uh, how we work as a team. Um, you know, Matt, our CEO, gave a talk uh, at Trinity Church. Might have been pre-COVID or shortly after. Um, the my re- my time references are all off with this COVID. It's only early. You and me both. Yeah. Um, but he was talking to a, a you know a room full of leaders about the ability to walk away from your company and and uh, look after yourself. And if you can't do that, then you know your business isn't worth much. If if you, if it's not dependent on you, um, and so you know we have a pretty uh, pretty active group um, uh, of leaders and like and team members. Everybody in our in our company loves the outdoors. Um, whether you're biking or hiking or on the lake or doing something, we encourage that. Um, we do give people time to volunteer in the community. We pay them to volunteer in the community because we want them to give back. Um, but myself and Matt and Brad spend a lot of time mountain biking. Uh, we do a trip every year. Uh, we're in Whistler last year. We're going to Roslyn doing seven uh, the seven summits this year. Wow. Uh, we also have a Friday morning surf club. So we're on the lake wake surfing Friday morning at seven o'clock. If you're at the yacht club, you'll, you'll see us traipsing onto the boat um, down there. Um, yeah, we, we enjoy each other's company. And um, so from a work perspective, we, we kind of work those kinds of um, breaks, you know, into our program. And then, uh, yeah, my wife and I are, we love to travel and um, we love to spend time on the lake and hike as well. And we, um, have some family in sunshine coast so we're going to go to the sunshine coast in august and spend a week down there and that's kind of it for us uh, most of the rest of it will be just kind of right hanging around home it's, it's interesting because there's uh you could draw a parallel between the book uh, let my people surf by the patagonia founder um and and totally. your company like it, it seems like there's that he didn't want to grow his company too quickly because he was he was afraid that it would put too much wear and tear on his on his people and, and create a, a bad work environment, bad culture. And he he saw astronomical growth and then he kind of just capped it almost. Is that mm-hmm. kind of what I mean, not that you want to cap growth, but, you know, I, I think there's sustainable growth, too. Yeah, I was going to use the word measured. Um, but definitely, um, that is in our mind all the time. Uh, we're a very capital efficient company. We've hardly raised any venture capital, although I could tell you a story a little bit about some that we raised with an interesting high profile rapper. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we, um, yeah, we look at actually, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Patagonia because we look at them as a kind of model, uh, model business for us to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, we really look at the, their ethos. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we built a lot of that thinking into, into our, our culture, uh, of our, of our business. So, um, yeah, very, very impressive business. So just a couple last questions left here, Jeff, but do you, do you see Pila always being in the innovation center or is that, is that, uh, eventually you're going to outgrow that place? Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, we, we, kind of occupy, I guess, you know, over three quarters of the sixth floor there now. Um, we have a manufacturing facility, as I mentioned, um, be on Stremel, uh, just off the highway. And then we have a distribution center just across the street from, um, uh, used to be Spider Agile Technology. Uh, oh, it's across yeah. from the park there, the kids Scandia. playground. Scandia. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you can tell how old my kids are. Hey, that uh, I can't remember that name anymore, but man, were we there in the early days? Uh, yeah. Um, so we got a pretty big footprint. I mean, you know, we're looking at uh, 30,000 square feet currently in Kelowna, um, all, all, all told. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting what remote work has done uh, for our business. We have some really um, highly skilled um, people in our business that, you know, are remote. Uh, we're very fortunate to have them as part of the team. And I think that'll always be part of our plan. Our growth plan going forward is, is, you know, we don't really care where you are. Um, um, you know, if you're the right fit for our team, then we want to talk to you. Um, but I think, you know, our, our founders love it here. As I mentioned, like they literally within days, relocated from Toronto to Kelowna. It was mind blowing. Um, and, you know, Brad was here on a backcountry ski trip and he's got his 
phone out on FaceTime with Matt and he's showing them the innovation center and they agreed um, on that call that they were going to move here, um, which, you know, kind of blew me away. But uh, I think Matt had sold his house um, and his business, uh, sold his house, moved here, ended up selling his business. Um, Brad bought a piece of property here and started building a house uh, right away. And um, yeah, they're, they're, they're both here full time. So we're pretty, pretty well rooted in this region. Um, so I don't think we're going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but I don't know if we'll always be in the innovation center. I hope so. Um, but I always think we'll be a clone company. Uh, been a ton of fun, Jeff. I, I, uh, really enjoyed this time and I, I so appreciate you taking the time cause I know it's, it's not easy running companies and all that kind of good stuff. Um, one final question. We have, a an election coming up for Kelowna. You care deeply about, uh, Kelowna and all of its, uh, constituents and, is there anything, any topics you want to make sure that incoming council or incumbents, mayor, which which ones mean the most to you as a Kelowna citizen? Like, is there any, is there anything mm-hmm. that you really want to make sure that we don't lose sight of, and, and that we continue to either improve upon or stop doing, or anything of that nature? Yeah. I- I don't, do you know I was at the council meeting last night, Rick? Did I you know I was there? I, I have How people everywhere. Jeff, I have <laughs> people everywhere. <laughs> you know, um, it's such a timely question. Uh, there's development that was proposed beside the Innovation Center. And, uh, you know, it was basically going to be this cube that was going to take up the entire footprint of, of the piece of land and block most of the light entering into the innovation center and you know we circulated a kind of a um, you know letter of support for a, a change in design you know of that building and you know to the cities um you know got to give them credit they they listened and the developer listened and we ended up with a brand new redesign of the building next door that is going to maintain some light corridors and keep some views open and some um, is a win-win-win for everybody um, but the development community wasn't super excited that an already approved project had, you know, was allowed to change, um, you know, but that's all part of the, you know, kind of the uh, community engagement process of a new development project. Um, so that's one thing I think it's on my mind all the time about Kelowna is, is just sustainable development and keeping the city beautiful and, you know, really intentional um, about where we put buildings and why and, you know, how's that going to change how the downtown feels um, as we grow. And, you know, the fact that UBC Okanagan is going to have a campus downtown Kelowna is such a massive win for this city. Um, I don't know if you or anyone listening, hopefully there's at least one other person than you and I, Rick, um, <laughs> listening today. But if you've ever visited a, uh, a city that's integrated with a university campus, it is a game changer. The vibrancy, the youth, the energy, um, it's intoxicating and it's motivating and there's all kinds of stats that come out of that around you know new business creation and startups and jobs and everything else economic development that comes out of that process so anyways long story short that got approved last night very very exciting for for Kelowna that UBC will be downtown it's one of the big hairy audacious goals that we had in building the innovation center was wouldn't it why did the university go way up there when they could have been, you know, downtown? Um, I, I understand all the reasons why they did that and I applaud them for it, but I'm really glad they're downtown now because it's going to make a big difference. So, um, yeah, I just think being super thoughtful about development in the future is going to be really important. Um, I know homelessness is a really tough one um, and, you know, safety downtown is, is another tough one, you know, kind of related and, um, you know, as a byproduct of some of the homelessness activities uh, as well. Um, it's a really tough one to solve, but I know that the city and the current council is really important to them. Um, I do talk uh, to some of them, um, you know, about these things, especially Colin, um, uh, his worship, the mayor, um, as he also goes by. Um, yeah, this stuff, you notice how gray he's gotten in the last couple of years? Well, they, they do that before and after picture of the, uh, you know, the Barack Obama and comes yeah. in, you know, young, youthful, you know, jazzing <laughs> out. And and then he comes out and he's just stooped and uh, gray <laughs> hair. And you're like, man, the years are not kind. Uh, not it's, kind at all. So, it, you know, it's not a, like, you know, it's not a tough job. 
And this stuff does wear on um, our mayor and council. And I, and I know these decisions are tough and they're trying to make the best ones they can for the city, but, and I know it's important. I, I kind of wish it could go a little bit quicker and there were some easier solutions, but they're just not, they're very complex. Um, so I have a lot of uh, respect for what they do, um, all for, you know, for the betterment uh, of the city. But, you know, one small example of their world, um, you know, this council meeting last night, two agenda items, six, six hours. We got, we got there at six at night. We left at midnight Oof. and they still had, they still had work to do, man. Yeah. And I'm just like, how do you do this every Tuesday? And then they also do public hearings on other nights. Anyways, it's a thankless job. Um, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, and I appreciate what they do for the city. And I know they're working on the right things.